if you could go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. We are continuing our series called Citizen Exiles, which is looking at the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And so we're about halfway through the book of, of Nehemiah now. One of my sports heroes is a man named Jesse Owens. Um, most of you know the story of Owens. He made his name by winning four Olympic four gold medals for the U.S. in track and field at the Olympics, which is certainly a remarkable feat. My, my athletic career capped at actually only winning two golds, and so really it's, I just know how impressive that is. Um, just there's going to be some kid that thinks I, I win, that I, I, it's obvious I've never, um, I think I got off the bench once in high school. So, um, all right, so, so, so certainly a remarkable athlete, but that's not really why he is so well known today. Really, he, that's just sort of part of the story, and it's, uh, why he is so well known today is because his story is that not just he won four golds medals, but he did so against this particular backdrop, and the backdrop of him winning was the Olympics were held in Berlin, Germany in 1936 as Adolf Hitler was in power and ready to take Germany in war, to war with the world, and Hitler was selling his evil belief that his race was superior to other races and that his race was superior to the black race. And so as Jesse Owens ran, he represented himself, he represented his country, and as a black man, he raced with a hope of dispelling this false and evil view of the, of the superiority of a race. And so his medals, which he not just won with, some of which he won with Hitler in attendance, were a triumph over this evil man and his ideology, which is really why he became this global figure and an American hero. We rightly we rightly love that sort of he heard the voice. He knew what, what this evil man said. He knew the efforts of Hitler to dehumanize and to belittle him. And yet he triumphed in this way. And his accusations and his, his insults had no bearing on the outcome of the race. I think there's a reason we love stories like this. I think there's a reason we sort of love this, this triumph in this way. But I do wonder at times if these stories seem so distinct from our experience because we have an enemy who tells us lies and who accuses us and begins to call out accusations on us. And I think for many of us, our experience is that over time, we don't see victory over this, but we begin to see defeat little by little in our lives as the enemy comes in. I think that there are some who know the attack of the enemy and who, who begin to live in fear of the next attack, who hear the accusation of the enemy and in some way begin to believe, who hear the noise of the enemy and become distracted in some way, and, who, and so often what can happen is these lies from without can often, be, can often become and shape the voice we hear within. So in Nehemiah 6, we are shown what to do when the enemy threatens and lies and accuses. And we find not just what worked for Nehemiah then, but we find a truth that will transform God's people in every age through every assault. So the main point we're going to be looking at this morning from Nehemiah 6 is our enemy tries, our God triumphs. Our enemy tries, our God triumphs. So again, in Nehemiah 6, God's people have been brought back and rescued out of exile they have been working on rebuilding the city since they have come back. The temple is rebuilt, and now they are working on the walls that surround the city so they can defend themselves. And in chapter 4, we saw how 
Their, their enemies were surrounding them and they were opposed to them. They were trying to stop the walls from being built, but yet the people continued in their work. But now the enemies are back and they've got some new tricks up their sleeve. So again, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah 6. The main theme we're going to be looking at is our enemy tries, our God triumphs. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshub the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors in its gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together in Hakapirium in the plain of Ono. And they, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and leave it and come down to you? And they, sent me four and they sent me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it, it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, which is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning, to, the, set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come, let us and take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such thing as you say has been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop, drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Verse 10, And now I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, the son of Methibel, who was confined to his home. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the door of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, such a man as I run away? And what such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because of Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way, and sin so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalet, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the, and also the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Verse 15, so the wall was finished on the, 20th, on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accompanied, had been accomplished, excuse me, had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by the oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, the son of Jehonan, and, the, and taken the daughter of, Mus, of Meshulam, the son of Barakiah, Barakiah his wife. And they spoke of his good deeds in, the present, in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. All right, so main theme again we're going to be looking at is our, God, our enemy tries, our God triumphs. We're going to look at this more in three points this morning. But before we do, just want to make sure we kind of understand the big picture of what just happened in chapter 6. So the enemies of God's people are back. So you have Sanballat and Geshem and Tobiah. And verse 1 says, and the rest of the enemies, right? So they're all gathering back together again. And just by way of reminder, or if you're new to the series, these aren't just sort of three individuals' sort of names. These are leaders or governors of the neighboring surrounding cities and states. 
and they bring armies with them. They are not sort of just individuals. They are states and they are armies. This is, this is peoples postured against them. And they are afraid of this wall being built because, because they think now, well, if this wall is being built, the, the city will be able to defend itself. And the wall at this point is, is all done with the exception of the door, which I'll, I'll, I'll just add is a big feature in a wall sort of going up. But they, seeing of where it's at, they, they ratchet up the attack on them. But their strategy this time is not physical attack against the city and sort of bringing in all these weapons, but it's to try to disparage and, and destroy the reputation of Nehemiah, to threaten the life of Nehemiah. Sort of, sort of if we can take care of Nehemiah, then sort of the work will stop and the people will scatter. And so five times they basically offer to meet under the flag of neutrality, but Nehemiah doesn't fall for it. He knows that they intend to harm. He knows that this isn't like actual peace talks, but they intend to trap him and to harm him. Then they, get, they hire this false prophet to say, okay, hey, they're going to kill you. Why don't you hide out here? Here's a safe place for you to go. But he sees through that one, recognizing they're trying to harm him there, lead him to a space where they would be, doesn't fall for it. They trump up false charges against them. Oh, you, you claim to, you want to break away from the king, you want to be a new king, you intend to fight against the kingdom, and he, that does not work. So Nehemiah, throughout this passage, does not listen to the enemy. And as a result of not listening, of not being distracted, of sort of not hearing the lies or, or giving into the lies, the, wor- the wall is now complete. And so 52 days later, it says, and there's some debate over 52 d- days later from what, and was it 52 days since the wall started or since the events in chapter 5? I, I believe it was 52 days after the last assault of the enemy, but regardless of whatever timetable one comes down, the, the wall's now complete, and they're not distracted. They're not taken back by their schemes. So he does not fall for the schemes of the enemy because of what he knows to be true. The mission doesn't sort of doesn't get on hold because he doesn't sort of sit back distracted by these outside voices. So three things, three points I want to look at and for us to take away because we have the, we have a same enemy who will try same tactics. So I want to see and learn from what he did so that we can apply it to our lives. So again, the main point is our enemy tries, our God triumphs. Point number one is this, what the enemy can do, what the enemy can do. So the enemy hears that the wall is done or nearly done, and in some way, and again, it's not done, but for all intents and purposes, it's, it's really close to being done. And in fear of this seemingly, ri- of this organized rising power, in fear of this group that doesn't fit in with them and seem to be like them and live for the same thing that they do, and in fear of the unknown, of just why are they not like the rest of us, they come and in fear try to stop the work. And in their attempts to try to stop the work, we learn of what the enemy of God's people can do. We see that the enemy of God's people, they can can intimidate. We see them doing that here, or at least attempting to intimidate the people of God. The enemy can conspire together. Here they are teaming up, right? It's this leader and this leader and this leader. And the enemy can persist. Right? It's, It's four times, and then a fifth. And then when that doesn't work, they try another attack and another tactic. And they can lie, right? People weren't rising up against the king, but they made it sound like they could. They make it sound like they would. They can try to trick them. They can try to set these traps for the people to fall into. 
and they look to cause fear, right? Verse 19 says, the reason for the letters was to make Nehemiah afraid. Verse 14 and verse 9, they were trying to make him or them frightened or afraid. And so the enemy of people has a lot of tricks that has a lot of things they try to do. The enemy wants to intimidate us, tell us how strong he is, and tell us how weak we are. The world against God likes to team up and likes to send different waves of what, of what will trouble and what will tempt. And they lie. They lie about the world. They lie about us. They look to make us afraid. And I don't need to tell many of you that they can persist. I mean, how many times has it been said and has it been proclaimed with earnest seriousness? Well, this, this is really going to end the effect of the church because this law or this movement or this pandemic or this worldview, that's sort of, that's going to put a stop to that. How many times have Christians or churches been misrepresented and lied about? Not that, not that we're perfect, but fundamentally just presented in ways that are opposite than our nature. How many times has a reason for fear in your marriage or in your children or in your future just been thrust in front of you and not just thrust in front of you once but thrust in front of you time and time and time again how many temptations have been put in your way time and time and time again one of the remarkable things that i've just seen is this the more i've grown in holiness just the more i am aware that satan hates me and he hates my kids, and he hates this church, and he is not passive, he is persistent. So the enemy has a lot he can do and that he seeks to do. And so it's good for us to recognize the enemy has power, that he has tools, he has tricks, and he has stamina. But it's also good to recognize that he's got some holes in his game. And so that's point number two. Point number two is what the enemy can't do what the enemy can't do. So the enemy can do a lot, but there are some things he cannot do, and we're going to see these in Nehemiah 6 as well. For example, he actually can't make us afraid. Now, he, he can try, and we might fear, but he can't make us fear. We have weapons against him. But here, what, what happened? They were trying to frighten us. They were, they were trying to make us live in fear. They were trying to do this. But we kept at the work. He can try to, to, to pull us into an area where he thrives. He can sort of try to pull us, sort of put a, pull us away from where we should be and sort of put us on his turf, on his terms, just like he did five times with this Paul. And then when that failed, all right, he tried the next trip to try to pull him in to where sort of he was on his turf and on his grounds and on his terms, but he can't make us actually go there. Well, I like why it says in Nehemiah verse 3 and 4, I, I cannot come down. Why, why should I stop the work that I'm doing? Basically, I'm, I'm working in fear of God. I'm working, listening to the direction of God. Why would I come and listen to you? So you can come again and again and again and again, but God's voice is louder than your call, and God's protection will outlast your attack. And so we see here that Nehemiah is aware of the enemy, but he is not afraid of the enemy. So... He is cautious. He doesn't just run into the traps. 
He, when he hears the lie, he, he answers it with, when he hears the lies of the enemy, he, hear, he answers it with truth, that there's a lie, that you're rising against the king. Now, you're just making this up. There's not, not even basis in reality. The enemy can set traps, but that does not mean we are destined to fall in. But, it, but it's not just that. No, notice here, so not only can he not stop these sort of, he can't actually do some of these, but then it's the enemy cannot stop the work of God or the purposes of God or the work of his people, right? The, the chapter starts with the enemies rising up and threatening and, and looking to, to take over the work, to stop the work. That's how the chapter starts. How does the chapter end? The work of the wall was finished. They can threaten, they can lie, they can claim a power that they have, but they cannot stop the mission of God. Now here, the people of God could have stop themselves by, by living in fear, by listening to the voice, by sort of, yep, we should be afraid of that enemy. They, they, could, have, they could have fallen for the traps. They could have heard the threats and say, let, let, let's shrink back from the work. So the people could have stopped it. They could have stopped going, but the enemy could not stop the work of God. And here, the work did not stop. But here's ultimately what the enemy cannot do is win because he cannot defeat God or his people. In fact, we see this twist in this passage that the very thing he is threatening is the thing he receives, meaning the entire time he is looking to cause fear, right? He just says to make the people afraid. But how does the past, what does verse 16 tell us actually happened? It's not that they made the people afraid. It's when what verse 16 tells us is that they could not stop the mission of God and now the enemy they were afraid. They were looking to define the identity of God's people. What happened instead to them? Their own esteem fell greatly. The enemy of God threatens to destroy the people of God, but the enemy is the one that ends up defeated. Our enemy tries and our God triumphs. And so we have what the enemy can do, what the enemy can't do. Thirdly, I want to look at why the enemy can't do Hopefully this won't be a surprise, but why the enemy can't do is, in short, because God. Because verse 9 says, because God strengthened them in 13 and verse 13 and 14, they are appealing to God. Verse 16 makes clear, why was this all accomplished? Because God is on our side. The enemy cannot defeat the people of God, not because of the strength of the people, but because of the strength of their God. That's it. That's why God is more powerful than the enemy. He shatters lies with the truth. He accomplishes his purposes. That's who he is, and that's what he did. That's what Nehemiah knew. That's what Nehemiah modeled, who his God was. And because of who his God is, he walked in confidence and purpose and clarity in the midst of his enemy. Now, I'm not wondering if the enemy will win. I'm not wondering if God is victorious. But here's what I think we need to watch is will we be derailed in our life and in our mission and in our community by listening to the wrong voice, by listening to the incessant voice and the persistent voice and the oftentimes what will appear to be the loudest voice, the voice that just wants to speak to where we are most vulnerable. I think 
we need to recognize that we are each vulnerable to the, the, these lies without that if, if we're not careful can become the truth and the voice within. In 1803, there was a man named James Cooper. Now, James Cooper was a former slave who was freed from slavery, so he was a free black man, and he had something called freedom papers. So freedom papers were sort of a legal document that you'd be given to sort of show, you know, that you, you really were a free man and, and kind of, uh, and all this sort of thing. And he carried that paper with him everywhere. So he was, he carried that with him everywhere and he was kind of known that that's, that's where he carried it. And one time he was actually arrested. He was assumed to be a slave, and, uh, but he assumed to be a escaped slave. But this, these papers sort of helped show his freedom, and it was this legal document. So they're able to show and say, yep, nope, this is who you are. This is your identity. And so he, he always carried this paper around with him. It was actually it was part of a famous court case at the time that, that showed the sort of legitimacy of these papers. But he was known for carrying around these papers, and this was this legal document. And so he carried them whenever he went. And one day, one, one, one person asked him, like, why, why do you carry them with you wherever you go? Because it would seem safer to me if you sort of kept them sort of, you know, locked in your house, sort of find the safest place possible for them to be. Obviously, if you need them, you can go get them. But it seems safer to sort of not have them with you all the time where they just fall out and blow away in the wind. But sort of, you know, that you, you need to, like, why isn't it, why don't you do that? And his response was that he's so often not treated like a free man, that so many want to treat him in ways that are not true of who he is. So many people try to treat him for what they assume him to be rather than who he truly is. Does this happen so often? Does treatment happen so often? But I want to be clear, I don't carry the papers for them. I carry it for me. Because of all the mistreatment I receive, I need to hold very close to what is actually true of who I am. In a world where the enemy lies and yells and whispers and accuses and tries to cause fear, in a world that looks to have our name maligned, we need to hold very closely to what is actually true. Now, how do we do that? We, we cling to what, we cling to the identity that this book declares to be true of us. We live in a community of God who declare to one another what is true of us. We need to daily depend on the Spirit of God empowering us to listen to the right voice. In short, we need to, we need to stay near to this, to God and to the voice of God so that we don't get distracted by the wrong voice. We need to stay so focused on the right voice that we're not we don't sort of get confused by the false voices that are coming around us. And I want to be very clear. I think each of us are vulnerable. There, there, there's hundreds of voices. There's hundreds of lies. There's, there's, there's hundreds of things that are just going to come at us and attack each and every day. And I think most of us can tune most of those voices out. But I think in our own life, we need to know where we're vulnerable to a particular voice that wants to whisper a particular lie that we're prone to believe, that we're, that we're vulnerable to get distracted by. I wonder if some of you have just heard the lie of, you know, because of your sin, because of your weakness, you know, you're, ju you're just a bad mom. 
And your kids aren't going to thrive because that weakness is actually what defines your parenting. I wonder how many people believe, you know, if, if people knew the real you, if people saw you for who you are, they wouldn't really love you. So why don't you just stay back and stay at the surface and be able to just sort of hide in plain sight. I wonder how many people have just heard the voice that, you know, that sin that just sort of is not taken very seriously, that's okay. You can just sort of leave that sin alone. That's not going to have a real effect on you. That's not going to corrode your soul. See, the lies without can easily become the voice within. So we need to anchor ourselves with the right voice. We need to cling closely to Jesus Christ. In a sense, we need to, we need to carry the right paper really close. And we do so full of hope because Jesus Christ took all the enemy had. He took every last shot and accusation and lie of the enemy. But he didn't just take every lie of the enemy. He took every last lie we told and believed and every fear we held and he triumphed over them all. The enemy tries, but Christ triumphs. The enemy the enemy tries to cause fear, but he is afraid because he has been defeated by the risen Christ. The enemy lies, but he has been triumphed over by the truth. And our enemy is powerful and he's active and he's roaring around, but he has no claim on you. He has no claim on our, on our mission and he has no victory at the end. And so in your life, make sure you are listening to the right voice, going to the right source, carrying the right paper, each and every day. As we think of all the assaults of the enemy, we can stand steadfast. John Newton writes, we'll close on this, who is sufficient for these things? We are not in ourselves, but there is an all-sufficiency in Jesus. Our enemy watches us close, he challenges us, he desires to have us, that he may sift us like wheat, he knows he can easily shake us off if we are left to ourselves. But he knows he can't have us because we have a shepherd, a keeper who never slumbers or sleeps. When we are prone to wander, he calls us back. When we say my feet slips, his mercy upholds us. When we are wounded, he heals us. When we are ready to faint, he is ready to revive. Let's pray. Father, would you... Help each of us to cling closely to Jesus Christ. That the voice of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the declarations of Jesus would be what we hear in our ears. Not the subtle lies and accusations and assaults of the enemy. So we pray for everyone here who is right now in some way in their life Believing a lie, Lord, would the power of the truth, Lord, would that triumph over the lie they believe? Lord, we pray for each of us in our own corners of where we believe lies, where we live in unbelief, would the, would the light of the world shatter the darkness because he is the one who has triumphed over our enemy. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.